0: Hello and welcome to the Facing Up podcast with me, Luke Grenfell-Shaw. In 2018, at the age of 24, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Since then, I have been on a journey full of challenges, which has led me to ask the question, how do we face up to the challenges in our lives? To help me answer this question, each week I learn from different guests how they faced up to the challenges in their own lives, and perhaps even how they led to opportunities. I hope that by listening, you'll be better able to face up to the challenges in your lives so you can live your best life today. A month ago, it was Cancer Survivor Day on the 7th of June. And as part of the Bristol to Beijing uh, initiative, uh, we had a webinar discussion with uh, three other people who have a cancer diagnosis. And we discussed what it was really to live with cancer, to what extent we felt like the terms cancer survivor or can liver were ones that were useful or applied to us. And the conversation lasted 40 minutes, which is coincidentally the length of a a Zoom call. Uh, And we, afterwards, I just wanted to say thank you to uh, Kate, Kirsty, and Miranda. But as I did so, I just sort of pressed record and we carried on talking for about another 40 minutes and... I really want to share with you the two conversations together because there is such candidness, honesty, and inspiration, and hopefully guidance as well from uh, these three incredible women who had to put up with me for an hour and a half. So I felt it was, it's a bit of an experiment, but I thought it was really relevant to the Facing Up podcast. And so I really hope that you enjoy the coming episode. Do bear in mind that it was recorded. The first part was recorded as a webinar and and the second part just happened spontaneously. I hope you enjoy. Okay. Hello to everyone who is watching this discussion um, on the Bristol to Beijing channel or via our YouTube. Um, It's fantastic to have you all here here watching. Um, Today we are going to discuss the question of going beyond being a cancer survivor. Today is the 7th of June 2020 and in the US and the UK it is Cancer Survivor Day. And cancer survivor is a term that I've found um, quite difficult in some ways to get to grips with. And the purpose of this discussion um, with my three amazing guests is to go a bit deeper into what it means to be, to have a cancer diagnosis and perhaps how we choose to identify ourselves or not. Um, and this could be um, from using or not using the word cancer survivor. Um, I have coined the term can liver. Um, which is you know, someone who lives has, has a cancer diagnosis but also acknowledges there are challenges but also opportunities that, that go with this, um, which is also not perfect. I've, I've had it termed uh, sounding a bit like cat food um, or something you might serve up for breakfast, so that there's work to be done. So this is really going to be a discussion which aims to deliver a bit more depth and nuance to a debate that can often come across as quite crude and militaristic the battle, the fight, the struggle against that we either win or lose. This aims to go hopefully significantly deeper than that. To begin with, I would like to introduce the three amazing guests that I met all through the Bristol to Beijing cycle ride, and I thank you all so much for giving up your time today. Miranda, can we start with you?
1: Yeah. Hi, Luke. Um, thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me uh, to uh, get involved in this discussion and also thank you for allowing me to cycle with you from Canterbury to Dover. Um, it was a very, very wet day, very cold day, but we had a fantastic time. Um, so I'm Miranda. I was diagnosed in November 17, 2017, with stage two invasive uh, ductal carcinoma, which breast cancer uh, in my right breast. Um, I underwent went lumpectomy uh, and radiotherapy and finished my active treatment um, in March 2018. I'm now on a five-year plan um, of something called a aromatase inhibitor which basically strips your body of estrogen um, to try and stop the cancer recurring um, and reducing the risk of, of that happening. Um, two and a half years later um, here I am um, I've got quite a lot to say about it, but uh, we'll, we'll wait until we get into discussions on that. But um, thank you, and I'm looking forward to meeting both Kirsty and Kate.
0: Brilliant, thank you, Miranda. Kirsty?
2: Good to see you again, and uh, good to be here, and um, yeah, talking about some interesting things, I think, uh, coming up. So, my name's Kirsty Lovesare. I was um, diagnosed with bowel cancer just over seven years ago now, when I was 31 um all came as a, a well a very very big shock. um i had um surgery and two lots of chemotherapy during that uh, that first year um and um touching lots of wood have, have been okay since. um i've also obviously looked into why i um had cancer at such a young age and um, subsequently found out that i'd got something called lynch syndrome which increases the risk of various different cancers. um so i've got a, a genetic mutation that we have to kind of keep an eye on things from that point of view as well. Uh, just to complicate things even more, I'm a doctor, so um, there's been lots of interesting situations in terms of what it's like being a, a doctor, having cancer and going through stuff. Um, but I suppose you know, the big, biggest thing for me is that over the last seven years, I've done probably more living than i had done in the, the previous 20 odd years. And um, you know, experience wise and travel and exercise have, have been really important in my life. And um, yeah, actually had a, had a good few years.
0: That's awesome to hear.
3: Thank you, Kirsty. and Kate. Hello. Um, I'm Kate. I was diagnosed with adrenocortical carcinoma, um, on the 21st of June, 2018, um, after surgery, which was to remove, what the doctors believed was definitely a benign lump. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to be told that actually i had cancer um i am on a two-year course of daily chemotherapy so i'm still taking chemotherapy now um and the chemotherapy means that i have lost all steroid function in my body um so um yeah it produces all of that as well um I feel like I've got sort of thoughts, opinions, um, and yeah, I'm not sure cancer survivor is necessarily something I like as a term.
0: So thank you all, and uh, we'll get stuck into that very shortly. And I should say, you know, this is a discussion that's really very much about trying to explore that there are no right or wrongs. Each person has to deal with this in their own way. And for anyone watching, take what is useful from this and what any or each of us say and and discard the rest. Um, If something doesn't seem like it's good to you, then by all means, don't don't pay attention. Make sure you do what works for you. For those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Luke Grenfell-Shaw. And in 2018, I was diagnosed with a stage four sarcoma. The Outlook was pretty bleak, but I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Incredibly happy to be here two years later, or, or almost to the day um, after I received my first uh, diagnosis. So, hopefully, that gives you all a bit of background, some of the, a very small vignette of the journey that we've all been on. To start with, we're going to have about three minutes each to, um, without, without really, this isn't a dialogue, time for dialogue, that will come later, but to talk about our own relationship with these terms. Cancer survivor can liver, uh, what we find useful, what we don't for. So, Miranda.
1: Thank you, Luke. I mean, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, When I was first diagnosed, um, the impact of being told you have cancer is, for me, was huge. Um, I always knew deep down that I was gonna get breast cancer in my right breast from about the last 10, 15 years previous to that. Um, And I always thought that when that happened, I would be able to cope. But actually, I didn't. And I think the fact that I didn't cope very well made me even more upset about the whole thing. Um, Obviously, it had a massive impact on my physical well-being. But I think the one thing that hugely has come out of this is the mental um, well-being or the lack of mental well-being that it had on me. The impact of not being able to cope um, physically and mentally was, was, it was a real struggle. So for, for sort of for two years, I've, 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 uh, continued on and I've got stronger and I've got better. And I've, I've, I've also tried to identify why I had cancer. I was fit. I was thin. I was, uh, didn't drink, you know, ate well, all of those things. And you realize that actually that has very little impact when you have it. Um, And I'm now continuing to do all of those things, keep fit, try and and get better. So two and a half years down the line, how do I feel? Do I feel that I'm a survivor? Well, yes, I've had cancer. Um, And if I meet somebody that doesn't know me and it comes up, I say, I have had cancer. Um, Am I living with cancer? Well, uh, the answer, the the, the short-term answer is no, I'm not living with cancer, but... I am living with cancer in my head, because every day there's always that niggle: is it there? I think my body is 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 free of it, and I hope my body is free of it, even though I'm still undergoing treatment. Um, So every single day, in the back of my mind, there is: I get an ache, I get a pain, and I'm sure this is the same with everybody. Um, With at least with a lot of people, particularly if they've had a good diagnosis, um, there is still that concern. Have I got a cough? Why have I got a cough? Is it in my lungs? Is it in my chest? And so it goes on. And I think I think what I can take from this is that um, I have a much deeper insight into how people that have gone through are going through a cancer experience. Um, I, I think I have a deeper insight into, into not necessarily what they're feeling, but some of the things that they may be feeling. Um, and I, 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 I am trying um, with my life to go forward, to empathise, support, and inspire others. Very similar to yourself, Luke. Um, and whether it is you're happy with the word cancer survivor, whether you're happy with the word can liver, I, I actually think can liver sounds a bit like cancer of the liver. But you know, we we all we all look at it differently. Um, so. Uh, <sighs> I am a survivor I have come through it but I wouldn't call myself that I would just say I have had cancer and to everybody that it's been and it's done and in the back of my head it's not so I suppose that that's where I am on on this experience um, and this journey if that's what you want to call it although I'd rather not call it a journey um because you associate journeys with good things um, but, um, similar to, to Kate, I've, you know, I've, I've grasped life with, with both hands, um, and I'm trying to live life to the full. So, um, that's sort of my little resume of where I, where I am on, on the can, liver can survivor, had cancer, not had cancer, not got cancer. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Miranda. There's a, a huge amount there and I'm really looking forward to, um, yeah, digging into that in, in a second. Um, Kirstie, can you give us a flavour?
2: Yeah, so I, I mean, I've, I've never really liked the term cancer survivor, I have to say. I think if you kind of look at the, for me, look at the actual definition of you know survivor, then I, I think it's more of a, it's something that you could use when you're getting over a, quite an a kind of acute thing. You know, you survived a car crash, or I'd be happy to say that I survived my surgery. Um, but I think it gets a lot more complicated when you're then thinking about something that as miranda was saying is 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 quite highly likely to leave you with um other after effects um really um I mean even when i was first when I was first diagnosed, things looked really quite positive um and we were talking about curative um surgery and chemotherapy, but even even at that point possibly I suppose being being medical myself I was all too aware of, of the, the the chances of you know that not being the case and things recurring and so I, I would never have wanted to put that term survivor to to call myself that because I, th- I think I'd have just been tempt- felt like I would have been tempting fate um and then as it was actually um whilst I was having the first lot of chemotherapy I had a, a what everybody thought was a a, a recurrence that then very much changed the way thing the way people were talking. So we were then not talking about curative treatment. We were talking about palliative chemotherapy, and I you know clearly at that point really really didn't feel like a survivor and, and thought you know this 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 was going to be it. Um, and I think at various points I've I've tried to come up with a better term. I've failed miserably. Um, I, I I think one of the things that that probably drew me to, to, to getting in touch with a random bloke on the internet to, to ride on the back of his tandem was actually not necessarily the phrase can liver, but certainly what is, what it encompassed and the, 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 the concepts there in terms of living with or following a cancer diagnosis as richly and fully as possibly. Um, I think that's, I think, I think it's actually, it's a, it's something that's really hard to come up with a really good one or two word thing to describe it and it's the the kind of broader broader concepts that I think are are perhaps important although everybody wants a catchphrase don't they for everything um and I suppose the only other from a again from a medical point of view I've probably felt more comfortable or have felt comfortable generally when talking to other people talking about things in very medical terms so you know I am a person who had surgery and chemotherapy for bowel cancer um, and as of last September had no radiological evidence of disease, i.e., nothing to show any cancer on a on a on a scan. Um, and I think that's that's kind of what I've told myself. And if, if anybody to ask, that's that's what I'd say I was. But that probably doesn't that certainly doesn't talk or explain enough about everything else that has, has happened since.
0: Thank you, Kirsty. Um again. Another different perspective, a a, a different experience, um, and some really interesting points in there as well. Kate? Um,
3: I think Miranda and Kirsty have sort of covered quite a lot there. Um, I would say because the form of treatment I'm on is quite different to traditional forms of intravenous chemotherapy in that I'm taking tablets every single day. Um, it's meant that the past two years have felt far more medicalised and at times I felt like I've lost the sense of myself really. Um, I've spent an enormous amount of time as an inpatient um, either because of complications or because um, I've had adrenal crises where my steroid levels are just dropped completely and I've been hospitalised um, unconscious Um, so that sort of takes away or took away for a long time my feelings of identity but there again when I'd leave the hospital every single time I'd leave the hospital I would want to go back to being me Um, and I found that was hard at times especially when you're feeling sick all the time um when at times I was too weak to walk up the stairs um it's been I mean a long long old slog I'd say really rather than a journey or a battle um it's been a slog um and it's also I feel as though I'm living from scan to scan, um, which is something that I don't know whether you guys might agree with. Um, but that might be because I'm still sort of undergoing treatment. Um, and yeah, again, it was something that came completely out of the blue, diagnosed at age 31. Um, and as I said, before diagnosed after surgery. To remove what they, the doctors was, were determined and convinced was a benign non-cancerous lump um, on my adrenal gland.
0: Thank you Kate um, and I'll, I'll finish with just a little bit about myself though um, if you've been following the page you might have had a flavour of what I um, have spoken already and today on, on the 7th of June I read a blog post um, about Entitled "Why I'm Not a Cancer Survivor," which gives you a, a flavour again of um, my, my disposition. I, the, the, the type of cancer I have, is it, it, not one that some people might use the word incurable. I think that's a very unhelpful word. I, um, I would, I always think of it as life-threatening, but um, I think it's, it's, it's useful as a descriptor of the sort of why I think that the term cancer survivor, which gives you this idea of certainty an appearance of certainty in the future that, you know, you're a survivor and you, you've eaten your disease. That's not something I ever felt I could relate to because for me, and this is something that I think to an extent we've all alluded to, we, we, we don't, even if a scan comes clean and we are cancer free, which is another term that I personally like because, you know, you can have crypto, cancerous cells that then become cancer, which don't show up on scans, there's very little certainty. And, and so I prefer a term that embraces the uncertainty and, um, you know, recognises that there, at least from my perspective, there isn't an end point or a sort of you know, safe zone, if you like, and it's something that has to be dealt with on a day-by-day basis, but that doesn't stop us from living a very rich and full life. So... We've already covered a lot of ground, and now we get into the juicy bit of discussion. For no particular reason, other than this is sort of, um, what came up first. Miranda, I was intrigued by, you said, well, first of all, you didn't identify with either the terms cancer survivor or the, uh, the cat food brand, CanLiver. Um, but you said, you'd know, you say, I have cancer, but it's still in my head. And I feel that could be a, re- a really interesting starting point for discussion.
1: Um yes, and I think um that interesting, just pick up picking up on a point that um I think it was uh Kate said or or possibly Kirsty about tablets, taking tablets every day. Um when I first started having to take tablets every day and, and that was I, I felt exactly the same. It was a, a loss of a loss of yourself. You and I was I was so angry. That I was had been put in a position where I had to take something I didn't want to take. Um, yes, the radiotherapy I felt I needed. Yes, the treatment, the the surgery I needed. But then to have to take a tablet for five years when I've never taken anything, um, it, it 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 made me very very angry. Um, I think I've moved on from that anger. Um, and now it, I, I, I accept it. I still have to set my alarm every day to remind myself to do it two and a half years down the line. Um, so, uh, sorry, Luke, I've sort of diverted a little bit, so I've taken away from that cancer survival.
0: Um, no, 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 this, this is all about exploring yeah, the issue. And I, th- I think
1: um, I have had cancer and it is in my head and, and two and a half years later that 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 trigger in my head is still there but it's not as huge it's not as uh, it's not taking up 95% of my headspace it's probably taking up 50% of my headspace um, and it's always there and I'm hoping and, and having spoken to others um, that it does get it does it does take up less of your headspace as time goes on um, but I don't think it's ever gonna go um, Uh, until such times as you know it does come back or or I die of old age or get run over by a bus or whatever it is um but it it is that it is that mental that mental attitude and it's having to be strong about that mental attitude it's having to not allow others to see it that's the way I look at it I don't I don't want others to worry about me worrying that's why I say I have had cancer and I'm now fine because it's I don't want to put that
3: responsibility on anybody else I um, would like to say I agree with you a lot there Um, like it's sort of it takes up a lot of headspace Um, and sometimes I find that I feel quite sad about it I feel that like why me? Why why like it's not fair? Um why not, you know, so and so. Um and also but bizarrely there was sort of there seemed to be like a loneliness to the sadness for a long lot of for the sort of the first like six to months to a year. Um because I felt like this was happening to me, to my body. It was something I couldn't control. Um, it was something that was meaning that my parents were having to be care for me. Um, my husband was having to care for me, and I was reliant on so many people around me. Um, because I mean, I don't. I take thirty plus pills a day. <laughs> which is a worrying number um and it just at times at times there's days when you just feel like I really don't want to take this medicine I don't want to take this chemotherapy I don't want to take these steroids I don't want to take these anti drugs um but equally I know that I have to and it's that's a real real confliction there, real conflict
1: and i think actually that that's that brings something up that um it's a bit like you say you're you're taking 30 tablets and i'm taking one tablet and that and that then immediately makes me feel you know what am i making a fuss about but it's a bit like the you know the friends i've met through this they've had mastectomies and chemotherapy and i had radiotherapy and, and a lumpectomy so in effect i was lucky that I didn't go through that but actually I wasn't lucky because I had cancer um, and I think we all have an individual, uh, individual experiences um, and everybody looks at it in a different way whether it's good bad indifferent ugly or whatever so the empathy has to be the same for all however whether you're, I think, this is the way I see it, you know, I think I should be, I am lucky because I'm not taking 30 drugs a day, but it's still, as you say, taking up a lot of your, a lot of your head Kirsty,
0: what about for you? Um, is this something that takes, takes up a lot of headspace? and seven years down the line?
2: So, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting, isn't it? it it's less um and but actually it's probably only in about the last year or so year or two that i would say that i've really and it's not it's not because i've necessarily changed an opinion on the fact that i do think that i've you know nothing nothing awful is going to happen in the future at all it's literally i think just because so many other things have happened in the meantime but i mean if i was to put a put a percentage on it now i'd probably probably be down at kind of five to ten percent most of the time Um, but equally it's still very much something that I can't completely forget about and I can't just say you know pretend it never happened because there are so many things that are still in my life that I kind of you know you've Think, well, well, this hasn't happened, and it's still related to cancer. There's still a lot of a lot of stuff, you know. And I've, I haven't kind of progressed quite as quickly in my career as I would have done otherwise. And I may I've made career choices that that are diff, prob, probably different because of that. So there's, it's still even uh, seven years down the line, it's it's still impacting. Um, and again, I think that's probably one of the reasons that I I wouldn't use a, a such a definite word like survivor to, to to describe something because it's still it's still there. Um, yeah. Um, having said that, I suppose trying to think of another word that kind of encompasses the the enormity of what has happened in the past, and and that you're kind of back to a, a more normal way of life is is also difficult.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, I certainly think, I, from my own you know career perspective, um, that's radically changed and what my expectations of you know um, what's the point of having a five year plan if if five years seems like really rather a long time away, let's...
2: Yeah. And I think, so actually the other thing, so I, I haven't had any five or 10 or any kind of year plans and going back to what Kate said, I certainly at the start, I was very much living every three to four months between scans and I wouldn't plan anything that was beyond that the, the next scan in terms of a holiday or, or anything. Um, but what I kind of did realise is that it was helpful not to not to make any choices that would potentially limit things further down the line. So, you know, just to kind of, I you know, was able, thankfully, to, to carry on kind of chugging along and get back to work. And it wasn't necessarily in the same way that I had been before, but just being there meant that there was still the opportunity in the future to, to go more slowly, but to, but to kind of potentially end up where I wanted to.
0: You brought something out which I had not thought about for a while, but I really want to sound you guys out on ladies' Sometimes um, with, you said you've got to, you know, you have, one has a cancer diagnosis. There's this, can be this idea of getting um, wrapped in cotton wool that, you know, oh, you've got cancer, you know, we need to do everything for you. Are you sure you can go outside? Are you sure you um, want to keep on working? Are, are you okay to do this, that or the other? Which I think can have that impact of being very um, debilitating even further. And as you say, you know, then close off at the doors without even um, you realising it. So I was wondering if there was anything in there that um, Kate, you could relate to, and then Miranda, and then back the- into um,
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely <laughs> the whole being wrapped up in cotton wool. <laughs> that's something that I'm sort of torn with, because I don't want to be wrapped up in cotton wool, but as my husband says I have a very short memory and I will go on the bike and push myself or go for a run and push myself and then end up in a bad way the following day and having to spend the whole of the rest of the day in bed um, because of the fatigue that overcomes me. Um, So to a certain extent I can't always be trusted to make the right decisions for myself um, as much as I would like to. Um, But I do find it irritating when people just think that all they can talk to me about is cancer. And actually, the friendships that have survived through this um, have been the ones that Built, have been built on not doing things, because there's been a lot of times when I haven't been able to do things. Um, I haven't been able to go out for dinner, I haven't been able to make plans, um, as I think Kirsty said.
0: I really want to return to that theme, Kate, about how you're treated with, with cancer, people who don't just talk to you about, about cancer. Miranda, coming back to the, the cotton wool, the expectations question, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so um, for me, I, um, once treatment was over, my active treatment was over, I thought everybody would expect me to be back to normal. and um, And I wasn't, but I put that expectation on myself, actually which was quite interesting so although people were treating me normally and they weren't wrapping me up in cotton wool um i thought that they were expecting me to be a hundred percent um but it wasn't their expectation it was my expectation it was because i wanted to be good and well and fit and healthy and no longer fatigued um and I have to say, nobody really did wrap me up in, wool, uh, up in cotton wool. And I, and I was probably similar, very similar to Kate in that um, I did, you know, I pushed myself too hard. Um, I worked through treatment. I, um, you know, cycled. I walked. I, I, I did all of those things and then realized that actually, and it has taken me this length of time to realize that I have to look after my body and listen to myself. And however much anybody else told me that, um, I wasn't prepared to listen to them. Um, so, so a little bit of stubbornness coming in there.
0: Right. To what extent do you feel that was a um, yeah, not that you can have your time again? Well hopefully you don't have your time again, but like would you want to what extent would you want to keep that, you know, that stubbornness of going out for your runs and being active, even if it sounds like you think it was a bit too much?
1: Yeah, I, I actually think that it's um it's taught me a lot. Um, so I think that because um, I thought self-care was you'd have a bath and you would um, you'd have a few candles. Um, and I also thought self-care was about, you know, pushing yourself hard. And I've actually learned that self-care isn't about pushing yourself hard. Self-care is about doing what you need to and want to do, but not necessarily doing a 50 mile bike ride three times a week. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. So I think going back, if I ever went through that again, I would certainly um, look at it slightly differently and take a slightly different attitude towards it. But I still like to be pushed. I still like to push mm. myself, um, even if that does mean I'm absolutely exhausted uh, for the next two days. because that's <laughs> me.
0: <laughs> Kirsty, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, so I suppose I, I think quite a lot of the, the comments that I have from other people, I, I at the time they would wind me up but I think looking back it was actually kind of other people putting their what you know what what they would do if they were in my situation or what what they thought they would do if they were in my situation so that was the kind of you know I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be going back to work if I was you that was because either they didn't particularly want to be at work themselves at all or you know they thought in that situation that wasn't what they wanted to do and so that that was you know I I found that really difficult to for other to be getting other people's kind of opinions really and you know i just wanted to say or oh, you just you know you don't know you don't know what i'm thinking or what i i want to do so maybe just listen and and we can talk about it but don't just tell me things that aren't helpful um and i suppose that i i i didn't push myself particularly hard as i was um as i i was kind of coming out of, of chemo and part of that was because i everything was so uncertain that i i think if i it would have i'd have been more tempted to what well, and in, in my psychology to start off with was, you know, I'll have chemo and then everything will just go back to normal. And, and in that situation, I would have probably gone back to doing the same job with nights and weekends and pushing myself as hard as possible. Whereas actually, I'd, I'd kind of realised that I, I think taking it a bit more slowly and, and enjoying everything else along the way was going to,
0: was going to be the way forward. I think there are two really interesting things there, at least two interesting things in what you, all of you have said about this idea of um, you know, self-care. I think part of that is kind of understanding what is important, uh, you know, is that doing long, lots of long hours working? And then this other idea of, you know, what's the right balance? Um, and you know, there can be a temptation or a thought that the best thing to do, perhaps when going through chemotherapy, is to lie in bed all day to preserve your energy. And I think probably that's an option of last resort, because if you think at any other point, were you to lie in bed for a week at a time, that would not be a, a very healthy thing to do. So I think trying to be as active as possible within reason, that probably doesn't mean going for 50 mile rides. Um, it is, is a very positive thing, trying to still keep us active. And that's probably more than a lot of people realise. Could we have 30 seconds from each of you of give us one thing that... You've really liked or appreciated the way that people have interacted with you when you were going through your cancer journey, and I'll start with a quick example of just saying, "You, know, my friends from university, were amazing at just making things feel normal." And although I didn't have any hair, I didn't have any eyebrows. We would chat and go for a walk and have a beer as we always would, and for me, having that more, a bit of normality was was very precious. Miranda. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, funnily enough, actually, I, I, would, I would concur with that. My university friends, obviously, which was a few years, I was a few years before you, Luke, when I went to university, um, you, you know, they were brilliant. They, they were exactly the same. They treated me as normal um, and they, they asked how I wanted to be treated and I think that was very, very important.
0: Um Kirsty?
2: um oh, slight, slightly different slight just thinking about some of the kind of healthcare professionals that were that were involved um and looked after me and i think the, the really nice or the, the one the ones that you jump out and i can I kind of remember the ones that knew a bit about me as kirsty um as opposed to as a patient um and you know knew knew what i was into and what i liked and would ask about the nice restaurants that i'd been to and things like that and yeah that, that just made a big difference Great.
3: um i would say Again, friendships have really changed for me. Um, Yeah, friends that... University friends are the ones that have come to the fore because I guess they're the friends that you make over a long period of time um, and that you make over sort of mixed circumstances.
0: And that is where the webinar ended. I wanted to say thank you to Kate, Kirsty and Miranda, so I picked up another Zoom call and after a minute or two pressed record and this is the conversation that followed.
3: I can't really imagine what seven years
2: down the line is going to be like. Um... (laughs) I I certainly couldn't have imagined it five years ago. (laughs) Um, And I think part of what's almost kept me going is not trying to imagine anything, you know. And I mean, as I said, I, I don't think that's... Not to say that I haven't, mean, ba- for, so for example, um, probably easier if I give an example, I've literally just had an interview last week and I've now found out that I've got a consultant job due to starting. Oh, um, and it's all quite amusing. Well, it's, it's slightly ironic because it's going to be at the same hospital that I was actually at when I was ill and had surgery. So I'm not quite sure how I feel about that but the consultants all know me there. Um, and they went even when I went to talk to one of them about, um, about it, she was just like, I mean, number one, I don't believe that you're still alive. And I was like, okay, that's, that's nice. Thanks. Number two, um, you know, how, how have you actually got here when literally I, you know, five years ago or six years ago, I wouldn't plan a holiday a year in advance and she was literally just taking the mick out of me for the fact that I, you know, was I still doing that basically? So, um, yeah. And the answer is I'm, I'm now much much more prepared to book a holiday a year in advance, but I don't get massively excited about it because, you know, it may well not happen. And that's not necessarily even for cancer reasons, for ridiculous other reasons as well, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) you know, I was so looking forward to going to Blooming wherever you were going to be in November and December on the tandem and and, travelling. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah, I feel lucky that I got... My two, two stints in January through Wales and in the Netherlands just before coronavirus sort of hit. Even the the two days I
2: had have, have kept me going.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, who would have thought that that time was? Um, you know, we, I think we all thought, oh, there's a whole year that the, you know you can join the tandem and ride the tandem for, and it turns out it's it was what like almost three months.
3: But your bike is out there. We've got new kit. And you're going to start it again.
0: Yeah, uh, I am. I think it's one of those questions. It's very difficult. It seems like a lot of Europe is going to be opening up early July. so. But I don't think it's going to make any sense for it to be on the tandem for quite some time. I think I really want to get as soon as a tandem is a viable option. But like... In, unless it's like my mum joining me for the whole time on the back of the tandem like otherwise I'm going to be a, like a walking conduit of coronavirus which doesn't sound like a good basketball.
2: if you're going to do it then you want to be able to enjoy it and not worry about things and
0: yeah be able to talk to people <laughs>
3: mm.
2: without masks leave me hard talking to people with
3: masks yeah, I find it's very odd going into hospital every month as I am at the moment. It used to be every week, um, because the masks just remove people's facial like not being able to see that much of someone's face. It's very hard to sort of understand emotion. Mm. Really difficult, and I mean I've got a scan coming up on Wednesday and. Bloody terrified!
0: It does put a bit of a twist on whether it would be nicer to have a video call, a face-to-face conversation with someone in a mask, in terms of the level of expression and non-verbal communication that's possible face-to-face, but is limited by can't seeing actually everyone someone's face, or having you know, doing it across a video link, which is of course just nowhere near the same.
3: I just found seeing going into guys and seeing all the staff there that I've known for two years hidden behind masks mm. really disconcerting mm. because I've got to know them really well and they've got to know me as a bit of a pain in the ass because I don't do what I tell they tell me to do um, and now you can't really see what they're actually I kind of can't don't think I can really like understand what they're thinking or feeling um and then the doctors their consultations with doctors are all done via phone, so it's all different at the moment.
0: How have you found that Kirsty, being a doctor
2: <laughs> uh yeah, I mean really really tough you just you realize how much more so we we're doing all of our consultations where we can by phone um and you realize what you're missing out on in terms of you know seeing was well, seeing facial expression seeing somebody you know walk into the room and um, missing all of that and when I had one one situation where I was the, the patient was a, a 17 year old who was at home and he was at home with his parents and it was the parents that were getting in touch and it was like you know not all, at least if you're all in a, a room together you get a bit of a feel for the room but trying to get a feel for that across the telephone was absolutely I mean we ended up bringing him into the hospital because I was just like I can't I can't deal with this anymore um but yeah no it's been it's been hard and we've all said that telephone consultations are actually almost more emotionally draining well they are more emotionally draining because you're trying to work so hard to pick up those extra cues that you you would ordinarily just you know they would just be there in you know in person so um and i mean i haven't thankfully had to get involved with any of the kind of giving bad news over the telephone but a lot of my colleagues obviously um have been and i think that's just been yeah awful absolutely awful
0: and then not to mention you know the lack of you know human touch yeah not, not i mean you know but between family members between friends and, and family um you know what's the thing that you most want to do if you hear bad news all good news you want to hug someone you know mm-hmm. and to not be able to do that is
2: i think it would be absolutely awful to be diagnosed with cancer throughout this period i just don't know i'm yeah it's scary actually
0: miranda there
2: were a couple of things that i actually wrote
1: down where kirsty said or or okay i'm sorry i can't remember who it was that you seem to be going you seem to go from scan to scan and that's and, and, and the lack of control and it's particularly very much at the beginning um you know you just don't know um you have no, you have no plan. And I'm very much a plan program. I like to have a person. I like to have a plan. And when I have no plan, I feel totally out of control. Um, and the other, the other thing that I, that I also wrote down was, um, I remember when I I was writing myself a diary at one point and I said, I don't want to be defined by cancer. I want to be me. I don't want to be, I want to, I want people to empathize and acknowledge Um, when i'm tired and fatigued and struggling but i don't i want to be me so actually as an example of that is i was having a really hard time at work um throughout my treatment and i subsequently found another job and the new job um i didn't tell them that i'd had cancer um so i went in there as me and uh Well, 18 months down the line, I then I then mentioned to my to my land manager that I'd had cancer sort of a year previously um, because I wanted I wanted me to be recognized as me and for what I could do and not be given any any um, any excuses as to, oh, well, you know, she's not performing very well today or, you know, she is performing well. Isn't that good because she's been through cancer. So yeah, that, that not defining bit was definitely, uh, was definitely something that came to my forefront in, in that discussion.
0: That's very much how I felt when I was at Oxford. Like I didn't, I told mm, one person, I think, I mean, plus my course mates, cause it was just, I was missing class. But beyond that, um, I told like one other person, cause I didn't want to be defined. And that's something that um, I think it would be, is such a big part of this, right? You know, how do we define ourselves? Um, you know, and to what extent? Then, are we limited by that definition? A- any thoughts, Kirsty or Kate? Um,
3: I guess before I define myself as um, a sister, a daughter, um, a friend, a teacher, a wife. Um, a swimmer, a runner, um, all of those sorts of things, to then have cancer thrown in there didn't really fit. And it still doesn't really fit.
0: Kirsty?
2: I suppose that the other thing that happened to me, it's kind of coming back to work as well, is that I probably, certainly up until the diagnosis for the previous four and a bit years i would have very much defined myself as a doctor that was what you know that was my life so i not only then got this thing whereby well now you know cancer's your life i also wasn't a doctor anymore so i had a complete loss of that identity which was just uh, you know well for the first year when i wasn't working was 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 awful um but uh interesting that it actually in the longer term it's probably been a better thing because it's made me realize that i really shouldn't just define myself well not even define myself but not define myself with one thing because you, you do kind of risk that thing becoming a, a problem and i mean i used to play football as well so i probably would have said you know i was a footballing doctor and then when you lose football you know what you have to think a bit more about what you what you really are and actually i'm now probably just quite happy being defined as a nice person <laughs> who's had a bit of life experience and uh, you know likes various things
0: so interesting isn't it when you like strip back like label after label after label yeah and sometimes events force us that even you know, those labels are forcibly stripped away because most of the time we don't it's kind of an unpleasant process so you go like oh if I didn't do travel, like yeah. what would I be but that's like it's such a I think we've got to be able to answer that question what well, as
3: in who are we
0: yeah like what matters to us if I can't say uh, I'm using myself as the example so I don't want to speak for anyone else but you know if, if I can't if for some reason I could no longer do sport, and I could no longer play musical instruments and you know I, I couldn't for whatever reason do, do any academic work I, or whatever. Those are big parts of my identity but what could I then look myself in the mirror and say Luke this is why you get up in the morning.
1: Hmm. I think for me, because I'm, I'm, possi- I'm probably older than, than the rest of you, um, for me, it's given me an opportunity to actually not have to define myself. Um, it's given me the opportunity of saying, you know what, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to, to, to enjoy life and I'm not going to worry about a career. I've been there done that I don't need to don't need to I need to earn money but I don't need to prove myself to anybody or to myself that means that I can appreciate Possibly, I think Luke and and I had this discussion as we were cycling in the pouring rain. I um, I can appreciate that blue sky more. And actually, you know, I wake up in the morning and I see that blue sky and I probably wouldn't have done that or taken it on board nearly as well as I had previously. Um, And I think I want to give something back and whether that is... um, you know whether that is raising money whether that is inspiring people whether that is just holding somebody's hand um there might be little things but for me that's probably much greater um uh, uh, much greater feeling for me than it would be to improve my career for example at the moment um so small things can still mean big things If that makes any sense
3: whatsoever. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense to me. Like, um, the things like the times when I'd leave the hospital, having been an inpatient for sort of five days or so, um, and just feeling the fresh air um, on my face and just just being like, I'm not in a ward, I'm not in a bed anymore. I'm free. I'm out, um, especially because Guy's has bars on its windows, which is really <laughs> <uncool>. <laughs> So you have all these beautiful views of London. Like you can see some pools and everything, and yet there's bars on the, on the windows and you can't open them. So you can't have fresh air. You're stuck in air-conditioned rooms. and uh, Yeah, just every time you're discharged, it's like... Sense of every sense is highlighted, I think. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's uh, noisy, you know, when it, back pre corona, when it used to be just trying to avoid getting run over by London traffic and angry taxi drivers, um, it was still just, I'm
0: out. Interesting what you were. Saying Miranda about you know I know the career and needing to prove yourself or not to anyone else and not to yourself and it's like I don't know that's something I definitely struggle with. like I, I've been you know had some you know challenges, but certainly it's still a part of my identity that I I think I still do feel deep down or not so deep down that I need to sort of prove myself and do stuff that. um yeah I feel it's worthwhile, and i it's, it's a very difficult one to try and distinguish what is you know, me wanting to prove myself or feeling like I need to work at a high level, whatever that means, and doing something because you think you know there are going to be people who will benefit, and um, it, that there are things that you can contribute, and if you can have a positive contribution to other people, then surely you would want to sort of put in a lot of effort into that. How have you felt about that, Kirsty? Straddling the the career ladder of medicine and consultant, you know, becoming a consultant.
2: Yeah, so I mean I th- I think really just I've st- even I've got to where I've got to now, but I haven't got there because I've spent the last five years obsessing about it. It's kind of been an aft it's kind of yeah, been a kind of second, you know, a secondary secondary thing that just happens to have happened because I've uh, have been very lucky to be able to kind of carry on. But when I when I took the so I took a job that meant that ultimately if I was able to carry on working, I would get to a consultant level and it would take five years. When I took that job, I, I nearly didn't take it because I didn't think I would still be around and I was taking it and I was felt guilty because I was taking that place or somebody else who probably would be able to get through to, to, to consultant level. So I took a lot of persuading to, to for people to actually say, well, you know, go on, just give it a go. And you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but something else bad could happen to somebody else tomorrow and, and it, you know, they wouldn't get there either. Um, but I think what, so what Miranda was saying is along that journey. Ju- no, not using the word journey. Damn, we we could have had that you know a drinking game where if you use the word journey, you have to drink something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but over the so over those periods of years, I've I've con- not necessarily consciously, but I have made a big effort to enjoy the little things and the small things along the way because then whatever happens. You know in two weeks time it doesn't it doesn't matter as much and you know the, the sky so for the last seven years the sky has been bluer the poppies have been redder the bluebells have been bluer you know and I've i really enjoyed that as well um and I've discovered mindfulness and try and try and be as mindful as possible and that that has helped as well so a friend asked me um what's the
3: greatest gift that cancer has given you and what was your response Well, first of all, I thought um, it's not given me anything. It's stripped away my life and what I thought I had. But then on reflection, I sort of agree with what Kirsty's saying. It's allowed me to stop and think and notice things around that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. Because I was just, you know, in London, rushing around, working my way up the career ladder, you know, not really taking much time. Whereas now I sort of, yeah, the sky, the, the sky is bluer even when it's <laughs> raining.
0: What would you say to that, Miranda? What's the greatest gift it's given you?
1: What's the greatest gift that it's given me? Um, I think that I understand myself more. That it's made me uh, do a lot of reflection. um, And that I've achieved a lot more than I ever thought I had. Um after the cancer diagnosis, I went through a terrible stage of having saying to myself, I'd achieved nothing and what a waste my life had been. And I always wanted to do things, that never got there and I'd never reached the, the standards and the levels that I wanted to attain. But actually I think it has made me realize that I have achieved a lot and that, um, I want to help others in, in whatever form that, in whatever form that comes in. um, you know not necessarily uh I, I don't know in what form that's going to come but it's, it's it's opened my mind um to to alternatives um and and that i have to care for myself
2: and others better
0: what do you think Kirsty?
2: i have two things so now, now Marenza said that, I'm def- definitely definitely going to go for, for self-care and just being... I, I mean, I was the most critical throughout, ev- well, throughout teenagers, throughout university, throughout med school. I was like so self-critical and, you know, so hard on myself and I mean, just crazy, really, absolutely crazy. Um, so that's definitely one thing. And then the other thing is saying yes to things and taking chances and not worrying about the fact that something might not work out or you know it might not happen how you want it to happen but because if you don't say you know if you don't say yes and try something it's definitely not going to happen um and i think you know seeing your tweet on twitter and saying yes to that was probably one of the uh, the best examples. i think that's what brought us all on the back of the tandem, really isn't it yeah yeah
0: yeah biggest mistake you've made so far (laughs) not at all not at all (laughs) yeah it's interesting that question because well first of all I think it's a question that requires quite a lot of guts and I feel it could easily be taken the wrong way like if said insensitively it's like oh <laughs> yeah. you must have like you must be rocking like you must love life so much right now because you had a cancer diagnosis like aren't oh, you grateful <laughs> like uh, someone
3: asked me that a friend asked me that whilst I was in hospital whilst I was an inpatient
0: how did that make you feel?
3: Um. At first I don't at first I felt like well it's given me nothing because you're, you're you're able to leave your job come here have lunch with me go back to work I'm stuck here attached to tubes and wires and I, I, I unable to move but I actually think it's probably one of the best questions that they've asked. I've been asked and it was asked by a very close friend who knew they could get away with that because it's the sort of conversations we'd have.
0: I think if it's asked by a close friend, that's, that's definitely a different story. Uh, one of my close friends, he, he visited me in hospital and he told me actually a couple of weeks ago, visit me and then he'd go on like, dates, like dates and he was like, this is totally bizarre. You know, I've been like with my friend, Luke, who's going through chemotherapy. And now I can go back to this other life where I like go on dates with girls. I think it was a very bizarre situation for him to in, but I kind of feel, and this is I was at the conclusion I've come to in my mind, that having cancer might kill me, but it's my greatest blessing, it, and it might be both my greatest blessing and it will, you know, yeah. kill me. Both of those things are possible, but I, I suddenly feel like the opportunities that I've had since. In Kansai, like, I didn't expect to get this point, but like, hey, it's pretty cool. I can do a cycle ride and people care. <laughs> like, No one usually cares about cycling, doing a long-distance cycle ride. So many people do that. But like, I feel very lucky to now have a platform. I'm also aware that, you know, it, there must be some like reference from the Greek classics of, you know, some sort of potion that makes you super strong, but then some sort of Faustian pact, right?
3: Your portrait of Dorian Gray. That's
0: So I was went too far back in time then. got some reading to do as well. I was wondering, but to what extent would you guys agree with that? That it could be the greatest blessing that we have, but it might kill us at the same time?
3: Anything might kill us. I mean, you could be run over by a bus. You could be run out, have a heart attack. The one certainty is that we are all going to die. And so we just don't know how, we don't know when. We do I mean, hopefully hopefully it will won't be imminently soon. I mean, coronavirus could kill us. We don't, you don't know.
0: What do you think, Kirsty?
2: I suppose but it's slightly differently now. If if you were to So six years ago, if you'd have said to me you know, do you would you prefer to have the the life where you've had cancer or the life where you haven't I would have completely said you know just take it away get rid of it I, I didn't ask for this I didn't want this this has ruined everything whereas now and I accept this is with you know, with the, the benefit of, of, of all of those years I, yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't change it I certainly wouldn't change it I don't I think my life has been better overall because of it and there are still things that aren't right and that that i wish you know that i kind of i can still get angry and annoyed about that i kind of think cancer has taken from me whatever but you know but it's still yeah i'm still i'm happy now with where i am and who i am
0: yeah i think but we are the lucky ones people into practice they don't have much chance to put into practice the perspective that they gain any thoughts miranda
3: um,
1: I think I. It's difficult, isn't it? My life has. Um, I see life very differently now to what I did before. Um, there are things that the cancer has given me and caused, and um, that I, I, you know, I argue with every day. Um, my body isn't isn't functioning as it used to. Um, but I think I am a better person for it. So whether I would say that I would go through that again to be a better person, I don't know, (laughs) but I do think that I I am a a better person for
0: it.
3: Hmm.
1: What about you, Luke?
0: Well, yeah, I guess... um... I, I, I think, you know, if it doesn't kill me, it will be the best thing that's happened to me. And it, and it might be the thing that is the best thing that's happened to me and also kill me. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds a bit trite like that, but I, I think it's, it is true. Um, but I, I you get to go back to Kirsty's thing, you know, even now, oh, I don't know even now, but certainly when I found out my diagnosis, you know, anything anything I could have done to taken it away, you know, for the first six months, the first year, um, you know, really, I didn't expect to see my 25th birthday. just really didn't expect to be here now. So, but equally I, I'm not going to dwell too much on what could have been. because it
1: <laughs> No, no, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, thank you once again to you all so, so much. I've, Really enjoyed this
1: discussion and found it very, very stimulating. Well, thank you, Luke. I think it, it's lovely to see you again. Um, I've been following you, obviously. Um, and thank you for giving us the opportunity of um, of chatting to you.
3: Yeah, it's been a, been a good chat.
0: I really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Facing Up. It was something a bit different, uh, a group discussion, but... It was a conversation that I learnt a lot from listening to the thoughts of Kate, Kirsty and Miranda, and actually how different all of our experiences had been. So if you're someone who has a cancer diagnosis, or you know someone who does, or just want a better understanding, and that you found this useful, uh, please do share it. Thanks. I really hope you have a good week and all the very best.